What is going on, everyone? So if you don't know and you've only been listening to this podcast, this is actually our first ever video episode. My name's Justin. And so again, if you've only been listening to my voice over the past couple of years, now you get to see my face. Um, but onto why like we haven't really been releasing any episodes over the past five months. I got two announcements before we move on to the actual episode. Um, first one being the reason we haven't released an episode is because we're actually looking for a new host of the show. I've always wanted to keep the show the student perspective, and I am unfortunately getting older and older. Uh, I graduated about four years ago, and so I want to make sure that this is always kept a peer-to-peer level. So we're looking for someone who's probably a junior or senior in college um, that loves to talk about their college perspective, that loves to talk to other college students. And if that's someone, if, if you sound like or if you feel that that's you, feel free to reach out to me at justin at declassifiedmedia.co. Um, I'll link it down in the description, and then you can just send me an email and we can talk. Uh, would love to meet you. And then secondly, we, because of the success that we've seen on TikTok, I think a lot of people have seen the show from TikTok. Um, we are actually looking to expand to different or two different profiles. So right now we've got Declassified College, and then we also want to build out Declassified CompSci and Declassified Finance by the end of this year. So if you're a computer science student or really any technical student that wants to build up their resume and wants to talk to people in this space, uh, please reach out. As well as if you're someone in the finance niche, um, again, junior, senior, probably. If you're younger, feel free to apply too. Um, but we are looking for probably juniors and seniors. Um, we're looking for someone, especially if you're based in New York, It would be you'd be amazing for this page. So if either of those fit your criteria, if you're someone who's outgoing, wants to talk to people, and wants to get in front of the camera, again, please feel free to reach out to me at justin at declassifiedmedia.co. Again, I'll link it all down in the description. So on to this episode. This is a little special one because back in March, I got to speak at this huge event called South by Southwest EDU. It's one of the largest events for higher ed. And I brought along one of my friends, Armel. Um, you may have seen him on the old Declassified CompSci page, uh, or maybe you've seen his content on TikTok because he does produce a lot of content on TikTok. But basically, this whole episode was our talk at South by Southwest EDU. And we got to talk about a whole bunch of things about the student perspective um, in college, what we were what we're seeing and the questions that we're answering from the higher ed perspective. So a lot of the questions that were coming at us were from people who were in high ranking positions at higher educational institutions. So I think it might be interesting if you are a student listening to this, that you hear their perspective or maybe some of the questions that they have. Uh, so yeah, that's that. We'll jump into that. And again, I would love to hear your perspective if you thought that myself or Armel was right, if we thought that we were wrong. We'll love to talk to you via um, DMs on Instagram, again, at Declassified College. I'm always the one answering the DMs there, so feel free to reach out there. Or if you want to send an email, again, it's justin at declassifiedmedia.co. So yeah, let's jump into the episode. And then I don't know when the next time you'll see me, but this is the first video episode. And until next time, um, enjoy the ride. Peace. I think we're one minute early, but is it cool if we get started? We got a lot of people in the crowd. So basically, I know this is supposed to be a podcast recording, and this is for both, or for my podcast, Declassified College. Um, but what we wanted to do for this, we thought the most valuable thing to do is to turn this more into a Q&A rather than like a podcast interview type of thing, um, where you all, the audience, get to interview both of us. So we'll, we have a few questions that we're going to run through for the first 20, 30 minutes or so, but then we'll have two mics 
going through the audience. So feel free to ask whatever questions that you have um, about the Gen Z perspective or anything like that. Because we have our questions, but we know all of you have your questions too. So we want to make sure to provide as much value to, to all of you listening. Um, cool? Sound good? Awesome. All right, so this is my, my friend Armel, myself. Hello. My name is Justin. Armel, go ahead. Let everyone know what you're, what you're building right now. Yes, so hi, I'm Armel Tala. I'm a second year student at the University of Texas at Austin. I'm a computer science and math double major. Um, I've interned at Google as a step intern. And also, but currently most exciting thing that I'm building is one, I have a podcast. I'm kind of really dedicated to lifelong learning, learn more about just kind of like uh, school isn't the only place where you'll learn. Um, it's an extension of that. And so having a podcast where I just read books and then kind of do takeaways for that, um, just to try to get more students, my, um, more people my age, to really just get into reading and getting to like reading about stuff they like, because I know it's really difficult for, uh, whenever you have to read something you don't want to. And then the second thing is uh, just currently working on startup, obviously, with computer science. Gives you gives me the great skill to be able to like build anything. So just those are the those are the things I'm most excited about. Totally, man. So my name is Justin. I'm the founder of Declassified Media. And basically what we're looking to build is the BuzzFeed, but for career education and helping students navigate college. So we do all that stuff for free for all those students on our social media platforms and our podcast. And we're able to do that for free because we're positioned as a media company and we partner up with companies that want to get in front of our students and things of that nature. So I think throughout all of our platforms, we reach 350,000 students in terms of following and then millions every single month. Um, so that's a little bit about both of us. We're gonna start this off with a bang because I know this is all about Gen Z, what we wish that you guys all knew from us. Um, so my first thing to Armel, who is our Gen Z student of tonight, uh, what do you wish higher ed knew about you? That's actually a great question. He didn't have this one <laughs> laid out. Um, what do I wish higher ed knew about me and just in general, my generation? And I think, Number one is we have a lot of resources at our hands and we're actually really, really, uh, people are a lot smarter than they give themselves credit and especially with their ability to just find things on Google and online and be able to like just keep up with the trends and what's actually going to be um, like the next big thing. Because I remember a lot of times when people were using TikTok, uh, I think it was like my junior year of, of high school and I thought it was a little bit silly, but obviously it's uh, become a huge platform and I also um, post content on there and that's how I met Justin. So I just think that one thing is higher ed should know that people are really, res um, Gen Z is really resourceful. We know how to like find information, um, but I think it's giving us the ability to, you know, use that more in the classroom um, and just in general when it comes to, you know, networking and building out a resume. 100%. And then can we dive, I know this is not on the questions I sent over you earlier, but uh, can we dive a little bit deeper into how important TikTok is on the education side? Because you and I both create educational content. Most people think of TikTok as this place where little kids dance and there's like these weird trends that pop up. Um, but we both know that there are different niches to TikTok. So I'll explain the niches and then if you want to explain a little bit more of like the education side. Um, so basically, if you guys don't know, who, are, who here has used TikTok before? Okay, pretty much everyone. It's impressive. Who here, who is on a specific side of TikTok? What side? Book talk. Okay, anyone else? Dog talk. Dog talk. Okay, who else? 
Mom talk, okay. So as you can see, if those of you who don't know this lingo, and the reason I want to explain this because we'll be talking about some of the stuff probably throughout the session is essentially the culture of TikTok is you talk about, like if you're on a, if you spend any time on TikTok, let's just say 30 minutes scrolling, TikTok's algorithm, as you start scrolling, as you start watching content more and more, if it sees that you watch a piece of content a long time, it'll keep serving up that same type of content. And if you keep watching that, that type of content, you'll end up on this niche of TikTok. So for instance, uh, the lady in the back saying, um, book talk, right? She probably watched a lot of people talking about books and that's probably the 50 or 60% of your feed is people talking about books, right? Or the person talking about mom talk or the dog talk, right? I love dogs. I'm personally on food talk. I get way too many food recommendations on there that I cannot cook. Um, but for us, our niche is sort of education talk or for declassified, it's like career talk. Um, for years, it might be like college talk or whatever it may be. But yeah, if you want to dive deeper into what that specific niche is. Yeah, it was interesting posting on TikTok because I first, um, you know, a lot of kids, especially nowadays, people grow up kind of idolizing content creators. Um, that wasn't specifically what um, I idolized, but I did love the ability of like this idea of passive income that people can make being creators, which is actually mind blowing to me because there's actually just a lot of money on these platforms, especially when brands want to reach out to um, people organically. Uh, but so it was like figuring out what I wanted to post about, what niche, and uh, like I said, I didn't think that dancing was um, my, what I wanted to portray myself online, uh, but even though I do enjoy it. But it was more specifically, I wanted to help people because when I got to um, UT Austin, it just blew my mind just about like how many resources were there. And I had a mentor that was able to point me to all of these. And I know a lot of kids in computer science, they really, really want to gun for an internship their first semester, um, their freshman year, because if you can do that, it sets you up to just do a lot of great things. And so I got fortunate enough, um, I was able to land mine. And then from that point on, it was just I do actually documented my entire journey of me from when I got the um, when I got the email about getting the interview to how I was studying for it and to how I went and giving the results. And I just saw how much people like actually followed it. I was really surprised because obviously everyone thinks TikTok is dancing, um, but people really wanted to kind of know that journey. It's like it's not exactly um, TikTok isn't where you're gonna go to like learn really learn and uh, comprehensively a new uh, new topic, but it is something where you can get snippets where you can explore ideas really quickly. And in a way, if someone knows how to really engage you, that you might learn something new and might want to go further down in researching that. And so I think I brought a lot of light to actually computer science to people that are especially high school students that they've reached out to me now that they're freshmen saying, "Hey man, you're one of the reasons why I'm doing computer science. Like I just love the journey. I loved how you grinded." Um, so. And I think that when it comes to the niches in TikTok, especially education, it's not where I don't think you're going to learn in 60 seconds, um, but you're definitely going to be able to find new ideas that might really just inspire you and might uh, make you want to learn more. 100%. And I think the, the one thing that I want to add to that really is when you look at other content platforms previous to TikTok and this whole new wave of short form content, um, typically you had to follow someone to see their stuff, right? And especially, let's be honest, most of us don't go on social media to learn things, right? Usually it's a, some form of escapism, especially for Gen Z growing up. Um, but nowadays, since content is being served to us, those questions that we always have in the back of our head of, hey, how do I actually organize my resume? How do I actually create a LinkedIn profile? How do I actually find and get a job? 
even though we've always had those questions in the back of our head, we probably never looked that up on Instagram or YouTube or whatever it may be, but because the algorithms are so strong now, it just gets served up to a lot of these kids, and it's, it answers that question that's always been in the back of their head. And I think that's the unique thing about all of these different niches that are popping up, because again, yes, have I learned to cook things? Of course, have I Googled to cook some things? Yes, but if, would I ever have known to do the Emily um, salmon, anyone who's on TikTok knows what I'm talking about. She did like this viral salmon with rice and seaweed thing and now every time that me and my girlfriend cook salmon, we have to get the seaweed thing to eat with it, right? I would have never Googled that, I would have never searched that. And I think that's the same thing when it comes to LinkedIn, resumes and all that uh, sort of stuff. Right. Yeah. No, 100 percent. A lot of things that I've even learned and just tips, too, as well. Like I mentioned, it's just really about finding new ideas that you just don't think about and you won't search up. Like I said, the algorithms just almost know you better than you know yourself in a way. And then just the little things that you'll you know swipe over on a page that you might not have looked at the video, but you're like, oh, I'm interested. Like I swiped over this person that's making tech content and then all of a sudden you start being introduced to a lot of tech videos. Totally. So now that we've laid the land of like kind of how social media works, um, the reason that we wanted to do that is because let's be honest, Gen Z spends like, I think it's like six to eight hours a day on social media. So if you want to understand the Gen Z perspective, you need to understand how we're learning this sort of content online. Um, but now Armel, I'll swing to the questions that we actually, I actually sent over earlier. Um, what do you wish colleges and universities did different? Yeah, so when it comes to students first coming in, um, a lot of the questions I ask, because I mainly just talk on my um, TikTok and I just answer people's questions because I knew how helpful that was for me. Um, a lot of the questions people ask is like, how do you know what you wanted to do, right? Um, for me, I kind of, I figured it out because of COVID. Um, I was a senior and then COVID happened, so a bit of my senior got taken away, but it gave me a lot of time to really reflect on like life. Um, and especially going to college, entering that new stage, wanting to, like the beauty of college is that it does allow you to kind of reinvent yourself, kind of put a better image that you want that you might not have had in um, high school. And so I thought a lot about it and it was just really going deep into who I was and like my past and understanding that. So I think one thing I wish universities would do more is kind of have students ask themselves those harder questions about themselves, really to reflect because a lot of kids get stuck into doing things that they don't actually wanna do. They don't know what they're even doing. They say, hey, I picked this major because I heard X, Y, Z did this and or they don't really know what that major entails or what opportunities they have after they um, do a certain major. So a lot of times students are just picking what they think is best, maybe what their parents want them to do. Um, but if students actually took the time in that freshman year, because they're freshmen, they're not, we're not gonna think about, hey, let's reflect on life and really ask ourselves some hard questions. But if students are kind of encouraged to do that, maybe not, not forced, but obviously really encouraged um, and also have a mentor to just talk, to have, help them talk it through, then you, there might be, it might help a lot when people aren't feeling like they're so far into their degree that, oh, well, I picked the wrong thing or I don't actually know what I'm gonna do once I you know, get this, once I fi um, finish college. So that's really one thing. Do you have a perspective? I know you graduated, what, it was about two, yeah, four I'm a years? Little, I'm a little older. <laughs> just a little yeah. bit. Yeah. 
No, like I think, I think a lot of my perspective comes from a lot of the students that I talk with. So with Declassified, we talk with students all the time. Um, even our podcast is very different than most podcasts um, out there. So instead of a typical interview show, we like to incorporate three to five different perspectives. That could be students, that could be um, professionals or whatever it may be, so that we're getting a wide spectrum, not just two people talking. Um, saying that, sort of my perspective on this is I think a lot of college students are confused that Again, like we all were probably in college of, we don't really know what we want to do. A lot of people that I talked to today, even if they are quote unquote successful professionals, don't know what they want to do, but yet there's still this pressure when you're 18, 22 years old that you have to figure out your life, so to say. And I think what we need to start doing is what I'm hearing from the most quote unquote successful students, the ones that are graduating and finding jobs, especially high paying jobs, um, is a less of a focus on specific degrees, whether that's finance, CS, whatever it may be, and more about the actual skills that you're learning. Because we all know that the first job that you get out of school, right, most of the time it's very similar no matter what job that you're doing. If you're in a business sort of role, it's probably a lot of Microsoft Excel, a lot of PowerPoint, a lot of presentations, and a lot of email, right? That skill is learned by pretty much every student while they're in university. But at the same time, I had a friend, or I have a bunch of friends, so I graduated from the University of Central Florida. And I had a lot of younger, like, my girlfriend's younger than me, so a lot of her friends are also UCF students. And the biggest university, or the biggest major at UCF is hospitality. So we all know what happened, especially hospitality, uh, 2019. None of these kids could find jobs. But they had been working in customer service roles for two, three, four, five years while they were in college. And one of my friends, I was like, he was, he was really struggling to find a job. And he was, he was like, dude, I can't find a job. No one's hiring, COVID. Um, I was like, dude, I totally feel you. Have you ever looked into tech? And he was like, what do you mean? I was like, well, tech is really the only thing that's hiring right now, right? If you can't find a job in tech, it's gonna be really hard to find a job. And he's like, but all I've ever done is wait tables and like help people at country clubs and things of that nature. How does that look into tech? And I'm like, look at the skill that you've learned, customer service, right? Amazing skill that not a lot of people actually get, that sort of person-to-person -person sales type of role. And I was like, why don't you look into looking at like a customer success manager role? And he had never heard of this role, and he never thought that he could get a job in tech because he'd been sort of taught that, hey, if you graduate with a hospitality degree, you have to get a job in hospitality. This is the only job that you can pretty much apply for. And I think this is the biggest mindset shift of the difference of the students that I see being able to graduate with jobs, whether that's in tech or whether that's in a separate industry, is that they can take their English degree and get a job in marketing. Because it's the same thing, right? You just tweak it a little bit different and now it's marketing rather than writing a five paragraph essay. Um, or the customer, like I said, the customer service person who's been working in country clubs his whole life, there's not much of a difference of you dealing with high net worth individuals and waiting tables compared to you trying to sell a multi-million dollar deal with the tech company that you're trying to broker a deal with. And I think there's so many different parallels out there um, that I wish higher ed focused less on the degree niche that you're getting in and more on the actual skills that you're developing with that degree. On that point, can I ask you a question? So with kind of obviously the internet having um, just people being able to find all the information they really need to learn a skill, how do you think universities should approach the fact that 
Gen Z's mindset nowadays is a lot of times people saying, well, I don't need to go to college. I can just learn everything I need to. I can get these certifications. How do you think universities should approach kind of like that new mindset that's really arising in the younger generation um, and so that they can brand themselves in a way, not even brand themselves, but actually still be able to provide um, the same type of value that students might get for, for free online, but even more? Yeah. Well, I, I think it's it's no surprise, right? It's no secret that information at this point is kind of commoditized, right? Um, pretty much everything that you can technically learn, you can find it online. But that doesn't necessarily mean that college doesn't have value. I think the big issue with college right now with a lot of Gen Z is a lot of them are very financially conscious because their parents went through 08 and 09 and they understand that to some point in their head and they understand that, oh, money is important to me and debt is a big problem. So they probably get student debt, maybe not to the full extent, but they understand that it's there. Um, because of that, the number one thing on a lot of students' mind, and I'm sure you can attest to this, is how can I find a job? And not just any job, a high paying job. Especially if McDonald's and Starbucks and stuff is paying 15, 20, 25 dollars an hour now, how can I find a job that's making more than that to make my degree, probably more from a self like reflection standpoint, worth it, right? Um, I would say colleges need to focus more on helping these students find a job and less about the quote unquote book edu education and more about the experience education. And what I mean by that is when you're, in when you're a student in class, there's nothing worse than literally just sitting there watching the professor talk for 90 minutes. And now students are getting smarter. They understand that a lot of these universities, especially the, um, the uh, research universities, right? A lot of these professors teaching is their second job per se, right? Their number one job is to bring in research dollars. And through TikTok and kind of quote unquote exposing these things, a lot of Gen Z students are understanding this. So I think it's less about the education that you can teach a student and more about how can you make an interactive learning experience. So that means answering more questions, doing more things like we're doing, where it's not just a professor lecturing for 80, 90 minutes at a time. It's maybe the professor talking for 30, 40 minutes, but then asking questions or promoting an atmosphere where the student can ask questions for 40 or 50 minutes. Because just like this, right? If me and Armel are just kind of up here talking for 20 minutes, we're only telling you what we think you need to know. But you all have questions, right? And if we don't talk on those topics, you'll never get the answers to that. And then you'll probably leave the session saying, oh my God, Justin and Armel, they are terrible. They didn't answer any of the questions that were on my head. But how would we ever know that, right? And I think that's the same problem with students, is a lot of students, while they're learning in these classes, they have a lot of questions in the back of their head. But they're not able to ask it because most, time, most of the times, a lot of these professors, A, don't create a, an atmosphere where, they can, where the students are comfortable with asking a question, but also B, they don't teach in a format where the students can't ask. It's a 90-minute lecture, oh my god, time's running out, bell just rang, okay, time to go. Um, and then you don't even have a question, and then you have to go to office hours, which is crazy intimidating um, for a lot of students. So that'd be my perspective yeah. on that. And I think one thing to add to that is just taking, because some classes, I will say, there is some professors that are really great at actually you know, lecturing, and you stay engaged the whole time. And right now, I have a professor like that, and it's an amazing. Um, but either 
focus on either adding a focus on skill, like you mentioned, because skills are what's most important when kids are not trying to go to a graduate program, but trying to actually go and get a job. So focusing on how does this tie to a specific skill, whether that's English or any other um, degree, because some are more straightforward. Like if you're learning to program in a class, it's pretty easy to see how that translates. But maybe helping students understand how this translates to the real world, because that gives them a greater incentive. Like, oh, if I get good at this, this this happens, this is this chain of reactions. And then also, I know like I run a couple clubs at my school and just we really focus on trying to um, teach students the important skills that will help them get a job. So either connecting them and letting them know about org so professors just be more aware about what could really help them. Totally. So I've got this one last topic that I want to ask you and then I can share my sort of controversial take on this. And then we are more than happy to, to answer questions um, after that as well. Um, so my question to you is, there's this narrative that's going around saying that Gen Z has the shortest attention span in the world. It's five seconds and TikTok is the worst thing in the world. And that's the reason why students can't pay attention in class. What is your perspective on the shortening attention span of small, younger and younger generations? As a person myself, um, I think that's, I, I can't say relative to other generations on how their attention span is. Um, I think all types of different medias have shortened it slowly over time as con content's gotten shorter, but definitely we do have a short attention span. And I know this because I sit in class and if I'm not taking notes in some classes because the professor is nice enough to take notes and post them online so I can actually just pay attention, I find myself sometimes just thinking about random things and then coming back and, and being engaged, right? Um, so I do think our attention span is getting shorter and obviously, you know, there's a lot of research out there about, you know, how dopamine affects the brain. So I think it's true, but I also think that it goes to kind of what we mentioned where lectures, that, that means that professors and schools just have to adjust to that because it's not going to change. There's, there's not going to be this magic thing where all students decide, hey, I'm going to take a break from social media for an X amount of time or I'm going to start meditating to help get my focus back together. Um, so now it's switching to a type of learning that's going to be more engaging where, okay, your attention span might be falling out. How can I make sure I'm doing things that grab your attention or how can we do activities? Because I know for myself, I... Um, I have a uh, blockchain club, right? And I try to do lectures and teaching people about what is blockchain, right? And t what I've realized is when I'm sitting up there and just talking for 30, 40 minutes, people are going to stop paying attention. They're going to get on their phones, and especially when it's a club because they're not required to even pay attention. So what I've done is I started throwing in activities in between where, okay, I talk for 10 minutes, I talk for 20, but then we do an activity. And that has really in increased the engagement and just how much people have felt like they're really learning because right now I think a lot of people are more like hands-on. It's like, why do I need to sit here when I could just watch a YouTube video that will probably summarize it in five minutes a lot better. So I do, I do believe our attention span is getting shorter, but that just means that adjustments have to be made in order to accommodate that. What is your hot take on this? So I, I think that our attention spans are getting shorter, but not in the way that most people are thinking of it. Um, I think Gen Z's attention span is shorter for bad content. And what I mean by that is previously, uh, we, you didn't, uh, previous generations didn't have access to all of, these, all of these different types of ways to learn. Right, the same way that Armel just mentioned, right? If you have a 90-minute lecture about blockchain, are you going to watch that or are you going to watch the, the guy or girl who can summarize that in 10 minutes on YouTube? Probably watch the person that's going to summarize the same amount of information in 10 minutes on YouTube, right? So I think that 
maybe you can make the argument that our attention spans have shortened, sure. But the real big thing, I think, is that our attention spans have shortened for bad content or someone who can't keep us engaged. And I think that is on you as the educator or as the entertainer, whether we're talking about movies or whether, or whether we're talking about in the classroom. It is the person who's talking to the person who's paying attention to keep them engaged. Um, I'll give my, myself an example. I don't think that I could sit through a 60-minute, 90-minute lecture. It's very hard for me to genuinely sit through that and not be sending texts on my Mac um, while I'm taking notes, um, right? But I literally watched a whole 60-minute documentary, no texting, no nothing, about the Disney Fast Pass. <laughs> I kid you not, on YouTube. It was the most phenomenally thing that popped up on my algorithm. I don't know how it knew that I went to Disney three days ago, like three days before, and we got the new Genie Pass. And it was literally a 60-minute documentary about how the Fast Pass has changed and how it doesn't actually really work that well. Um, and I was just fascinated because I went into it thinking, oh my God, this Genie Pass, I paid $20 for it. It was the best thing, best investment I ever did. And then it broke down the actual numbers and like how for the, act, the average user, Disney's just making way more money off of you. Um, but the number of rides that you're riding is roughly about the same. Um, and I was like, wow, this just changed my whole perspective on life. Um, but that's what I mean, right? If I can get encapsulated into learning about the Disney Fast Pass, that literally has nothing to do with what I do, which is in the media world. I'm sure that you can find a way to make math interesting or you can make psychology interesting because someone out there is. Now there's just competition because you're not just stuck on a campus learning that. You can go to YouTube, you can go to TikTok. All that stuff is gonna pop up for you. And I think that's the most interesting thing that it's not really about shortening attention spans. It's just be better educators and be better entertainers. I don't think we ever had that, that ability to challenge that until now. No, that's so true. and I want to add two things. One, on the idea of like just making more engaging content. I realized that, so if um, you uh, ever took like a math class or maybe you, you know, come across math videos, there's this dude named Three Blue One Brown, one of the best people for like when you're studying math. Um, but he, he, one video he talked about just how much effort goes into making his videos because I'm taking linear algebra right now and then I go watch his videos and he visualizes, he makes all these vectors and all these different things just actually visual where you can see it but it takes time because he has to go through and like write programs that will actually take these ideas and turn them into something where a lot of students are visual learners. I know for myself, if I can see how things actually work and understand like, oh, this is why it's pointing in this direction and this is how you add them together. And so I think it might just be on the idea that this, now the internet has kind of increased competition for professors um, on the idea that now they can't just be like, okay, I'm a professor and I can just go in and just talk. It's like you might have to think about like, okay, if I wanna make sure that my students are being the most engaged and get the most out of it, I might have to put some extra effort into the lecture to make sure that it is something where it accommodates um, our attention span nowadays. And then second thing, and just something to think about because this is something I'm really, I've noticed. So before as a freshman, I thought that I needed to take notes during every single lecture. And, as, and if you take STEM, one of the things you'll learn is that it doesn't matter if you understand the concepts, like if you can't do the problems, it doesn't really matter. So 
in most of my classes now, my professors are providing the notes because they just write it by hand and then on the iPad, which is the beauty of technology. And so I'm not having to write notes during class, but I'm realizing, like I mentioned, I'm dozing off, even though it's like, okay, this is a great opportunity. I get to just pay attention and not have to write notes and actually understand what they're saying. I catch myself you know, not paying attention the full time like I would like to. But then on the opposite, whenever I do have one class where I have to keep up with the notes that the professor is writing on the board, but I'm like fully, like not engaged in what he's saying, but fully just engaged in the class, right? So I'm taking the notes through the whole time, but I'm not really feeling like I understand everything he's saying because sometimes I'm writing more than I listen. And so this is just something I think you guys should think about because me as a student, I'm wondering like what is actually the best strategy for me to learn? Should I just be paying attention? And even though I might be you know, dozing off every now and then, is this my fault or is this something where I should I be sleeping more? Should you know, the lecture just be? <laughs> I've realized most of the time it's probably because I need to sleep more. Um, but, uh, but again, even when I do, it's still a thing where it's hard to stay focused the entire time. Um, and then, but when I am taking notes, I don't feel like I'm actually fully paying attention until I go back and look at the notes that I wrote. So that's just a side comment. 100%. Yeah, we can start uh, passing the mic if anyone has questions. Uh, she raised her hand in the back first. Um, so I don't have a question, but I am a Gen Z student, so I'd like to open the floor for everybody else in here. Um, I'm traveling with our honors program from West Texas A&M University, about eight, mile, uh, eight miles, eight hours north of here. Um, and one thing that I've really taken away from being in the honors program is that that discussion-based seminar class is way more engaging than any lecture I've ever had because we walk in having read our research articles or the news for the day, and then we can just take our discussion wherever we feel, and it's a lot less boring, and I think that's my favorite thing about our program. Um, and also getting... Um, students to respond to questions is something I've noticed a lot more about our teachers that teach regular and honors courses. Um, they build that classroom engagement, and those are the classes I get the most out of, even if they're not in my discipline. No, 100%, I agree there. Facts. <laughs> yeah, so in, in my role, I work at UT. I provide support for faculty and anything and everything technology related, uh, from Canvas to Zoom to whatever you can think of. And so, uh, as you might imagine, the average faculty member, if I run and say, I've got the answer, TikTok videos, they're gonna look at me like I'm crazy, right? <laughs> what? I don't even, I don't know what TikTok is. And so, what would you say is like, probably the, the, the bare minimum that uh, a, f a faculty member could do that I could support them in, in, in creating different types of content for, for their course, and let's just say for in-person courses, because that's, mostly what, what UT is doing. So what would be like the sort of bare minimum that I could maybe put together some resources for them and say, look, if, you're tr if you wanna try something different, try this, you know, it, it's lowest barrier to entry and it's not gonna take that much more effort than putting together a, a 60 minute lecture or whatever. Yeah, I would say, I would definitely point them towards um, making videos before. I don't I don't know if this will specifically answer your question in terms of content, but I know that pre-lecture videos, because a lot of the times the content that is taught in classes can really be summarized in like 10, 20 minutes at best. And like um, the student mentioned earlier, like the discussions about those, being able to just come in and ask questions, that has made, like that makes, those classes are the best because I come in understanding the material and what we're gonna talk about, but then once I get in, I get to ask questions. And the thing, 
a lot of students don't ask questions, and I've realized this, is because we just don't know what questions to ask. Like, we'll sit in the lecture, and they'll talk about a whole lot of things, and it's like, does anybody have questions? It's like, well, I don't really, because I just don't even know what you're saying. So I think just pointing them towards like videos where if you can focus on, instead of focus on putting together a lecture that would be, you know, maybe 60 minutes, put that into a 20 minute video, a 10, 20 minute video, make it as high quality in terms of like visualization, examples that would really hit home the content and then allow the class to be more um, like discussion-based, activity-based, um, question-based, where students can come in and be like, okay, I know what we're talking about. Let me ask my questions because I actually get ahead. Because if a reading is not like really assigned and strict, most students aren't gonna read. So maybe a video, like I know a lot of students prefer a video over a reading. Yeah, and I think the only thing to add to that is, I think judging by everyone in the audience, we've all been to meetings before. How many of those meetings could have easily been an email, right? Same thing with teaching, right? How many times has a professor just gone on and on and on and on about a subject when they probably could have simplified that into a 20-minute segment, right? I think that's where we need to start looking at is, okay, how can we summarize something so it's not a meeting? Um, like, I think Amazon has uh, the thing where every meeting has to be less than 20 minutes or something like that. So it's like, how can you create some sort of structure like that where a professor is maybe only talking for 15, 25 minutes at a time, but then they're required to leave time for questions from, from the students to add that engagement side, not just to keep them awake in class, but also so that the professor can get more of the student's perspective of like, where are they actually in this learning topic? Because I agree with Armel. A lot of times you're in class and you're like, I want to ask a question, but I don't even know where to start. Um, so I think that's a good way to, to look at it. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So I have a question less about teaching and learning and more about engagement. Um, having transitioned from a position where I was in front of students for two decades and now in an engagement role with the university, um, I've noticed that there's a huge drop off in engagement with our millennials down to our recently graduate uh, Gen Zs. And I was wondering what you thought about that and why you think that is, but also what could we do to keep them or get them to be more engaged in the college and then help with recruitment and some of the teaching and learning that we do as we move forward with the next generation of students. Are you talking about post-grad as well as, like after your graduation as well as student, current students? Right, so most of what I do is with young alumni, so students who have been out for about the first five years mm -hmm. from graduation, but up to about 15 years. So okay. you do have more engagement when you see people about 15 years out, 20 years out, but are five years out and have a lot of money, yeah. but just don't want to Of course, give. of course, because you, you want donations, right? Is, well, yes, but just, I also Just be want transparent, come on, right? I, like. also, I also want them to come back. I of think course, the biggest thing for me is I'm working at my alma mater because I loved my experience there. Of course. How do we make sure that they love their experience there, but also reach them in a way where they can um, say, okay, this is what I learned, or this is how I learned, and this is what I would like to change and make better for the next generation of student. Totally, so I've got two points, Armel. I'm not sure if you got any points on this, because you're still a student, yeah, but. <laughs> I can have, I have one in terms of, I know for me specifically, like 
I absolutely am just so happy I ended up picking UT because I found like the right, it was just the right environment, the right ecosystem for me, found clubs that really, really got me engaged and I really want to come back and like do things at the school and just like help out in any way I can. Um, so I think for current students, the way you do that is because you ended up loving your alma mater because you probably found like a group of people, an activity, um, you know, IMs or maybe a professor that just really, really made you go, wow, I'm so happy that I'm here and I like, and you don't even think about any other school. And so maybe helping students find that group, that, you know, that activity, that niche for them where it's like, this is where I feel I belong. Because a lot of students may not be so attached to their school because they're like, okay, I went to school and I got my degree. But it's like, if they have more of an experience, like I went to school and, and I did this and I had these memories and you know this club really helped me, then they were more like, I, I won't know because obviously I'm still in school, but they might be more likely to come back. Uh, but that's just like my perspective. Yeah, so I agree with everything that Armel said, right? There's key moments why we either, either loved our undergrads or hated it, right, for some people. Um, number one point that I would say is you have to be authentic. And I think with, with Gen Z, we have this huge sort of radar of we can tell when someone's trying to say something without saying something. And we're like, dude, just, just be honest with me. That's why I was like, just be straight up. It's like, you, you wanna get some donations. I get that uh, a little bit, right? Because that's probably a part of your job, like a KPI for your job. So I get that. I think the worst thing that UCF, again, I'll be completely honest with, with them, um, for me was I went to a, uh, like a special dinner, so to say, um, when I was still a student. I think I was a junior or a senior at the time. And we, it was like an invite only, and if you got invited, you got to sit at this table with like a notable alumni. And I was like, oh, this is amazing, this is so cool. You get there, you have to dress up. I hate dressing up, clearly. Um, I get there and I'm like, okay, awesome, waiting in the lobby, and this young lady walks up to me. She's a student, and she's like, hey, Justin, would you like to donate $20.22 for the class of 2022? And I'm like, I haven't even graduated yet. I'm, I'm the class of 2022, or maybe it was 2018 at the time, right? I'm the class of 2018. Why, you're ruining the experience for me because you're asking for something in like a cool way um, and, and you're just ruining the whole experience. So I think that's number one, it's like be authentic, right? If you're looking to, to generate revenue or money or whatever it may be, Find a way to say that in a very authentic way. Second thing is, uh, have you ever heard of charity water before? Do really good research into charity water because one of the best things that I've ever heard from their founder is it's all about the moments in between the moments. Um, I'm not sure if you understand what that means, but basically like for everyone else, when you're thinking of charities, right, and donations, it's like, oh, so-and-so just donated $10,000 or so-and-so just donated $10 million and it's like, who can donate the most? I'm like, that's great, but that doesn't help out the overall sort of event. What really matters for the overall event is what happens in between things, right? Think about South by Southwest, EDU. There are some big speakers that come to this event, right? And that's great. If you get to meet them in the hallways, amazing. But the real magic of South by Southwest and why you're coming back and why you'll probably come back year after year after year is because you get to meet someone in the hallway or you get to meet someone um, when you're in line, getting uh, waiting in line for this huge long line lunch, right? Like that's the moment within the moment that you have to figure out a way to master. So for you, that would be my advice to you is when you're getting these people to those events, how can you make sure that it's something special? Because 
Gen Z and millennials will give you money, clearly. Like, we're buying Yeezys for like $1,000, $2,000. We'll spend the money. But you have to find a way to make sure that in between those purchasing times, that there's a reason for us to come back. Does that answer your question? Okay. And maybe one more thing on that. Um, maybe just because I'm maybe I'm really just into crypto. I know people like transparency. Like you said, like where is that money gonna go? Um, some people are like, well, if I'm gonna give money, a lot of students will say, well, the school has this much money and they're spending it on whatever, right? And so if people know where that money might be going, if their donations, um, it it would be it probably incentivize people like, oh, I know exactly where this is and this is something that I did, so I want to give back. Okay, you guys are really impressive. I just have to say that, like you are so impressive. Um, so I just wanna talk a little bit. So you talked about um, that whether your um, attention span has lessened, and I don't think that it's lessened. I think that you guys just aren't gonna waste your time like you said, right? Um, we developed a, a public awareness campaign a couple of years ago focused on Gen Z teens, 14 to 18 year olds, asking them what they wanted in that post-secondary education experience. And what we found, and we believe it's part of COVID is, there's been this decrease in the interest in the four-year program. They want shorter, faster, better, right? Strict ROI, want to connect, right? And so, so what's really interesting is this is what we're hearing is that they want something, they want a different experience, right? And just wondering if you're hearing that from the folks that are listening to your podcast. Um, you know, we also are hearing that 85% of teens feel pressured to go that four-year path but less than half want to do that, right? So I think for all of us, it's like, okay, how do we meet them where they are, let them know that there are these other opportunities there? And then also, we've got to kind of rethink what we're doing as educators as well. I can yeah. hit on that point. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of my, my friends, um, a lot of them, they'll look to graduate in three years if they can. They're like, oh, you know, I, especially if they came in AP classes, they're like, why am I going to stick around? Like, it's like the college experience is cool, but after the first two years, you're like, okay, you've gotten everything out of the college experience, and then you realize, like, oh, there's a job I have to get after that. So I definitely think that maybe offering some form of either cutting classes that people just don't feel is necessary. Um, it's like I'm taking history and, you know, maybe if it was like a history related, because I'm computer science, so if I'm taking history maybe related to the computers and stuff, that's cool. But a lot of times people aren't really doing anything related to their major, related to a job they're going to get. So maybe cutting that out. And uh, But I definitely agree that the shorter, the more uh, concise and to the point and just like get the skills that they need. Because at the end of the day, um, if people, once people get over the experience, that college experience, they realize that a job is what's most important. And so getting there faster would be better. Yeah, and I think the other thing too, just to add to that, um, is now, again, this is where uh, like school perspective and student perspective kind of differs a little bit, but if the school can help the student get a job before they graduate in four years, I'm sure the student would have a way better per like perspective on the university if they were able to get a, uh, a job their junior year, but then the school loses out money, right, because they're not paying tuition their senior year. Like I have, there's an intern or someone that used to intern for Declassified and she just messaged me actually earlier this morning and she said, hey, can you um, give me like a letter of recommendation for this job that, or be a recommendation for this job that I'm about to apply for? I said, sure, and she's I think 
I think she's your age, maybe a little bit older, so like a sophomore or junior in college. And if she gets that job as a social media manager, she'll have way more, not only earnings, but also learning potential in that job than sitting in a classroom. And I think if her university helped her got, get that job, she would love her university because she doesn't feel that the university is trying to keep her there for four years. Um, so I think that's something that universities could look at. I'm not sure if it's in their best interest too, but I think from a long-term perspective, it might be because they probably would be willing to donate more back. And to tie back to like the first thing I originally said, I think maybe differentiating between the students that are there to get a job and the students that are looking to go further in academia, right? And this is it's hard to kind of do that from the beginning because students just don't know and like some students realize that they want to go into teaching or you know go further in their degree plan like later on but it ties back at what i said where we have to have students ask themselves those hard questions where it's like it's okay you're not asking yourself these questions because you need to get it right right now but you need to ask yourself these questions so you have a clearer path on where to want where you want to go it's like how are you going to drive if you don't have a destination or even an idea of what state or city that destination is in so i think think, again, like maybe identifying who wants to be here um, to continue on their education and who wants to be here because they understand that a job is the next step for them. Cool. Um, thanks so much. You guys are great. Um, so my name is Jonathan. I'm a teacher. So you were saying that do a record video beforehand. And I want to ask about your experience as content creators because you guys obviously have a big following, like millions of followers every month. So me just putting my phone on, recording my face for 10 minutes, talking is probably not the most engaging. So if you had like a content creator, like basic starter kit, what would be in it? And then to expand on that, if you were gonna do like a boot camp, like what, what would be the, the most like immediate skills like lay people could learn to make engaging content that appeals to Gen Z learners? So I'll take the the first part, and then you want to take the second, because kind of, I feel like you've been growing as a content creator over the past yeah. like, few months or so. So from the perspective of like just setting up a camera and just going, I think with TikTok, it's actually pretty valid that you could do that. What's the creator's name? The, the guy, um, he creates, he used to create content on YouTube. And now he creates something. I know that's like super. Oh, broad. is it? No. <laughs> I, I think yeah, it's I know, like, you know like everybody. Um, are you talking? <laughs> Hank Green. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. There you go. So, like Hank Green. If any of you look up Hank Green on TikTok, it's literally just him talking into the camera, just like this. And because his like the way that he says what he says is so valuable that he's able to take a super complex topic and simplify it into 30 or 60 seconds, people are gonna watch it all the way to the end. And I think that's number one is it's less about, oh, do I have to cut this this way or do I have to jump cut this that way or add this transition here or like flip my phone up so that the next one can be flipped down and it looks cool. Like that's all nuanced stuff. At the end of the day, if your content isn't quality, no one's gonna watch it to the end. And to transition into Armel, the only metric that matters on TikTok, and it's literally a game of seconds, I looked, I just did the stats um, last week for a post on LinkedIn. There was a post that got 100,000 views with, I believe, like 30%, um, or no, like 55% watch, or watch time, completion of watch time, so like they, 
if we're putting it into a numbers perspective, if the video was 30 seconds long, they maybe watched like 17 or 18 seconds of it. And they got 100,000 views, so not bad. We posted another video and it got 5.5 million views. And for that one, it was like a 38 second long video. And I think it got like 22 seconds of watch time or something like that. So just because that percentage watch changed from like 55 to 65, was 5.4 million view difference. So it's literally a game of seconds, but all that matters is can you keep that person to watch all the way to the end? And the only thing that I can say is like the number one thing that you need to focus on is, is the content good? And I know that's a super broad answer and like, Justin, I need a secret. Um, the, the, the thing is, is there really isn't a secret if your content isn't good. You can't take a bad piece of content and it's gonna go out. No matter whether that's the Kardashians doing whatever the Kardashians do, whether you agree with that or not, people watch it, people like it, and that's the reason why it does so well. And the thing is, you can think that content is good, but if the person watching doesn't think it's good, that's all that matters. In terms of making content, um, one would say, like, if you're not Hank Green, uh, if you're not someone a celebrity, you are like fighting for the fact that people have to have a reason to want to watch you, um, especially when starting, like when I was starting out making content, it's like, one, there is no secret like uh, Justin mentioned, and it is about the quality of your content. But when, in terms of like a, I guess like a boot camp or things that you could do to just help improve how you're making content is make a lot of content. <laughs> and it's, it's like, it's the most straightforward thing um, that people will tell you, but it truly is like an iterative process, and like, um, and you just because you'll just learn, you'll just learn, you'll realize like once you put out enough videos, um, and obviously if you're, I'll put it in the perspective of like if you're doing it for your class specifically, but just in content creation in general, when you're putting out a lot of videos, you are getting this instant feedback of like okay, this didn't hit because of this, and you actually actually like kind of rewatch your video and realize like okay was the first 15 seconds like engaging, was the first five seconds getting people's attention. Why did these videos do really, really well? The thing about TikTok, which is great, is you start to learn about like what actually is making people stick to your page and what is actually making people like just say, okay, I don't really care about this, right? Um, second is that uh, if you're just making content in general and even for any university that wants to just make content to get their school name out there, it's like you, it has to be value. Like I always stress this when I'm making content is, Every video that I've that's done well for me has been something of value that I've given to people, whether it's like, hey, you know, check out three blue, one brown if you want to study for math, right? Or, you know, this is how I, you know, focus on studying and, you know, preparing for my classes or pre pre preparing for interviews and everything. It has to be about what value am I giving to people and you can't just talk. Like you like almost almost every word has to really mean something and or has to set something up for the um, listener. But when you're talking about classroom specifically, things I really like that professors do, if I'm gonna go, um, if I'm watching a video for them, is that they really focus on visualizations, right? So like you said, you can't just put your face on there and start talking. Um, one videos that I've done, like I've explained like some computer science concepts in like 60 seconds, they've done pretty well, and that's because I've had visual explanations and drawings and things like that. Like people really like visual things because they'll stop by and they'll scroll and they see a face, they're like, okay, um, a whole bunch of faces in the world, who cares? But if they see like a picture or something, they're like, oh, wait, this person's putting some effort. They kind of already know that you're putting some type of effort and that they're going to see something that might be more engaging than if they were just listening to someone talk. Because if you're gonna go with the approach of talking, you kind of have to go with those cliche hooks and stuff, which I don't personally like. I just like, being like, if I'm gonna use a hook, it's gonna be 
because it's straightforward to the point about what I'm giving that's a value, or if I'm going to explain something, I need to put something out there that's going to catch people's um, attention, and that's going to be some type of visual with anything that you're trying to explain, which it usually will do better. Yeah, and the last thing that I'll add to that is to uh, our Mel's point of iteration. I don't think people actually know what that means. So for instance, you're a teacher, what do you teach? Math. Okay, so maybe, and okay, so there's literally, there's literally a kid that, and I say kid because he's literally like 20, 21 or something like that. He has like two or three million followers and all he does is SAT math problems. That's all he does. <laughs> so like, to like what, I'm, what I'm trying to say with that is, let's say you're posting, you, you're like, okay, I'm gonna commit to posting seven times this week. Maybe your first post is just you talking and trying to explain the Pythagorean theorem, right? Maybe that does decent but not great. Okay, so your second post is maybe you explaining the Pythagorean theorem or the next step in the Pythagorean theorem, um, but with a like video, like a, a time lapse of your class going in, sitting down, maybe people are like raising their hands, asking questions, but it's just a time lapse and you voicing over. Maybe that does a little better. You're like, oh, maybe there's something to that. Maybe the next one is like you trying to vlog your day, right, of like, okay, this is me waking up, this is me brushing my teeth, doing whatever, but the voiceover is you talking about the concept that you're gonna explain in your class, right? So there's all these different sort of iterations of things that you could do, and then maybe all of your posts, you see like, okay, this one did 500, this one got 1,000, this one got 700, this one got 10,000, and this one got 300. Look at the one that got 10,000, you're like, okay, what do I think went good? What do I think went bad? And can I try to replicate this? So maybe the next week, if you're gonna post seven times again, you post seven times with that one concept, um, but like obviously teaching different things. And then you see, okay, maybe this was a strategy that worked because you start to see your views going up and up, or maybe the views go down and down. And you're like, oh, maybe this was the anomaly and not the rule, right? And then you're back to square one and trying things over again. So that's what I would do in terms of like a boot camp of like iteration because uh, that's the only way that you're gonna be able to, to find stuff or like figure out your way to create content because the way that we create content as you classified is very different than the way that Armel does, is very different than the way that Hank Green does. And the only thing that I can say is like, you will only know what is right for you until you actually put it out there. Uh, I think, oh, you had a question, yeah. Yeah, thank you for, uh, thank you for sharing your insights. Uh, so I'm a, a faculty member at a university where our second year courses are about 300 students. And I am unfortunately teaching those 60 to 90 minute classes. And I'm wondering if you could share maybe some personal experiences or some strategies of how to boost confidence in a large lecture hall where students are feeling a little more comfortable asking questions because that's something that I struggle with. It's the same people that are asking the same questions and everyone else is just staying quiet when I know they have important things to ask. So, I went to UCF, the largest university in um, the US, I think. It's like 70 something thousand. Um, my business classes up until my junior year, I believe, were like anywhere between 1,000 and 1,500 students, which is crazy. So it's like the way that they did it was like, okay, you've got, you've got your students sitting down. There's only 300 seats or 500 seats that are there. If you didn't find a seat, then you just had to watch it online. And for most students, after the first or second week, you just watch it online because you're like, why am I gonna go to class um, when, when I, I don't even know if I'm gonna get a seat, right? So what I would say for you is, I don't have any specific advice. Um, my marketing teacher was really good. I can't necessarily pinpoint why she was really good, but she was like, everyone loves her in the College of Business. But watch 
like I would really study comedians. Like I know that sounds really weird, but they understand how to work a crowd. Right, the same way that we've said jokes here and there just to keep you all engaged and laugh every once in a while, and the reason why we wanted the session to be more of a Q&A thing was because we wanted to make sure that you're all engaged and that most of you stayed to the end. Right? Um, and the, one of the reasons that we did that is I started paying a lot of attention to comedians over the past two years or so. And they do this thing where they like work the room, and I started to learn those things. And that's what I would try to pay attention a little bit to, to what you're looking to do with your classrooms. So I am one of those students that asks a question and one of the few that repeatedly always does. And the reason why I do it is because I remember the first time, so I was taking, last, last semester, so I was taking a new um, course, right, a new professor, because my freshman year we took the same course for CS. And then so I'm a new professor, and I'm the type of person that wants to ask questions because I have the mindset of like, I don't care if anybody thinks this question is dumb, I need to get answered or I'm gonna feel dumb because I don't know the answer to that question. So I don't know if it would help with just getting students to like really stressing that there is no such thing as a bad question and that I know some professors, like when some students ask a question, they'll kind of have like a sound or something that says like, lets the student know like that was a bad question or they're like, uh, like why did you ask that? Um, so I don't know if you're doing that, but obviously you, sound, you seem like a great professor if you're asking, so you probably aren't. But really just making the environment feel like there is no such thing as a bad question because students just generally, like genuinely feel like, oh, if I ask this, my professor's gonna think like I'm not an intelligent or they're gonna look at me a bit different. And that was a bit of a fear I had when I came into that first class. Like I remember I was a little bit more shy and raising my hand, I was like, well, I'm, I'm not like this. Like, I just, I don't care. I'll like raise my hand and I did it. But once I did it and I realized like, oh, he just answered it and if he didn't have the answer to it, it's like, whatever, you know, just ask the next question. So really just stressing the students right from the beginning of the class, like you are only gonna get as much from this class as the questions that you ask, right? Cause it's like, I can teach you something, but if you're confused about something and you, and you don't ask, like you're just gonna keep being confused. And I think one of my teachers, he says this, which is great, he goes like, thank you for asking that question because I know someone else had that question. Like a whole bunch of other people had that question and most of the time it's true. And most of the time we're just like, uh, you know, you're just kind of scared because you're like, is this even a good question? So really stressing that there is no such thing as a bad question, encouraging any question that someone asked. And then also I would say, uh, <sighs> mm, I blanked out, I blanked out. But, but I, again, I think just really encouraging students that there is no, there is no such thing as a bad question. Oh yeah, this is what I was gonna say. Like I mentioned before how students just don't have questions because they just don't know what to ask. If there is something you can do where students can just have an understanding of like the concept to come in or like a five, even if it's like a five to less than two minute video about what the lecture is gonna be about the concept overview, that really helps students because we come in and we're like, okay, like this isn't my first time hearing this because if you assign reading, you probably know most people aren't actually going to read it. Um, and sometimes it's because they don't and sometimes because they just can't because they have a whole bunch of other classes as well. So something that will help them kind of get primed on the information so that they do have a question even beforehand. So I think that would be really helpful. We'll go there and then there.
I, I want to answer this because like I'm currently in that process of like finding a new apartment because so I got free housing I actually got free housing because I did I end up being like an RA but at a university apartment if you know UT it's the ones all like in, by Riverside right um, great opportunity you know get free housing and you know not have to pay for it but definitely like sometimes like you mentioned the bathrooms don't work and it's just kind of like a nasty kind of it just doesn't feel like not anything against apartment because it's free and I'm super happy with it but just because some things don't work and on top of the fact that now I have to drive as well the one thing I told my friend when we we're finding new one is like I just I don't even I don't care I just want a nice looking bathroom I just want a bathroom that has like a countertop and I want to be close to the school like kids are really looking for things that are simple we just want simple we want things that work and things that are simple like we want to be close as possible to campus is um, if you can make it. So if you're creating extra space for like a bowling alley or all that, like no, most of the times people aren't gonna go. Like that's just the real reality. Like we have a bowling alley down. It's like, it's great if you know, maybe you have a date or something. But uh, besides that, most students aren't just going like, let's hang out at the bowling alley. Like it's not, it's not that time. So use the space to build more. I would say like, if you are in that part, like use the space to build more housing that's close because location is everything. People want to walk to campus and people are absolutely lazy and do not want to walk really far. Um, and just focusing on making it where it doesn't have to be the flashiest, it just has to work and it has to be consistent. Yeah, and I think the only thing that I would add there is like a good example is if you look at all the big tech companies, right? They've got like Google has the nap pods. And I think that's become more of a meme than actual like recruiting tool for, for Google, right? And I think Google doesn't get the best applicants to their company if they're not paying well and if they're not building a good work-life balance for the majority of their workers. And so I think like the added bonuses are great but if your base level isn't good, so for instance, for colleges, like if you're not creating an atmosphere where kids can make friends, which I think is probably the number one thing besides getting a job for, for school is, then it doesn't matter if you're gonna build a bowling alley, right? If you build a bowling alley and that's what causes people to have make friends, great, but prove that. Don't just say that that's gonna happen because it would be cool to have a bowling alley, um, right? It would be great to have nap pods everywhere, but it doesn't necessarily help so to say. Um, so that's what I would say. Awesome. Oh, no, you had a question, yeah. I'm not sure if it, oh, it is on. Okay. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for your uh, perspectives today. I wanted to ask if it's all right about the earliest parts of your college journey um, that you might have pushed out of your memory, and that is, what do you wish college admission offices um, knew about you, Gen Z, whether that's specifically your application process or what was or wasn't helpful as you were learning about what you wanted out of college. Totally. So I think we got one more question because I know we're hitting, we're hitting our time right now. Um, what I would say, so my cousin, he actually just went to, uh, he just, he's a freshman this year. So he went through this whole process. Um, he absolutely hated it because he didn't know what, what to even ask. And I'm like, dude, you could ask me. He's like, but it's weird being that family member, like, right? You don't want to ask your family member for advice a lot of times. What I would say is, I think a lot of admissions officers come from a point where you know a lot, but it's very hard to understand that the person that you're talking to doesn't know that much. And a lot of times it can seem that you're talking down rather than talking as an equal. And because when you're talking down, people are less likely to ask questions. And if, especially if like a high school senior or junior can't ask questions, unless they have parents or brothers or sisters that have gone through the process, they're not gonna know 
what scholarships to apply for, or what housing to apply for, what study abroad thing to look at, or any questions like that. So I think of like, I think the number one thing is like, can you find a way to talk to their level so that they feel comfortable enough to even ask you a question? Because you can say all you want, but until they ask a question, they probably aren't gonna really pay attention to what you're saying, if we're gonna be honest. For me, uh, man, I, I'm like, I'm not lazy, but I just don't want to do things I don't want to do, right? And I don't like writing papers. That's why I'm doing a double math in CS, because people are like, you're absolutely crazy, but it's like, you don't understand. I really will just sit there on a paper last minute, and that's when I'll have the motivation to write it. So the process is like, do we really need to have these, this amount of short answers or this amount of um, essays? It's like, what are the most important things that we really do look at that has the most weight so we can cut the process down? Because the shorter the process, the more likely students are to apply. Because I'll be honest, I literally only applied to UT because I was like, I have auto acceptance and they're making me write one short answer. That is great. That's all I'm going to do. It worked out on my end. I kind of do regret that I didn't apply to more because I definitely think, like I told my, I told my little sister because she went through it last semester, like apply to as many places as possible. Don't do what I do. Um, but that was just because I'm lazy. So I think cutting that process, like making that process as um, short and to the point as possible, it doesn't mean there has to be no essays because obviously you need a way to evaluate people for who they are. But it's like, do you need as many as you're asking, right? So just, I don't know what your process is, but definitely I think that would help a lot. I think we have time for one last question. Thank you so much. Um, a lot of institutions of higher ed are coming out of pandemic land where we shifted to distance ed for almost everything because we needed to meet the needs of students but also keep everybody safe. Um, as we do that, as an advisor, historically, I have advised students who are going into distance ed courses that what they are gonna miss out on is that face-to-face -face interaction and the opportunity where other students can ask questions that they don't know they don't know. Um, how would you advise colleges to re-engage distance ed and or face-to-face -face courses in a way that blends those two strengths? What has UT done good, and what have they done bad? Mm, that's a great. Um, when it comes to distant, like personally, I know at least the consensus I get from most students is that they like in-person classes a lot more because you are forced to be engaged. Like if you're that kid that's on your phone through it, it's like, you know, obviously sometimes the professor will call you out, but if they don't, like you just feel weird because no one else, majority of people don't. So I think encouraging as many people to come in person and obviously put those safety regulations that you think is necessary, whether that's distancing the tables where students sit, um, wearing masks. So I think that's really important. And I think you have to pick one or the other. Um, a lot of times, like some, the school will offer like, you can come in person or you can do it online. You can do both, right? Uh, that just fragments the class so much where it's like you come in an empty class like let's say for the student that wants to come to class but they feel weird they have like that feeling of like I need to do whatever everybody else is doing so they see like most of the class most of the people aren't in class they'll be like okay I'm gonna just go online even though that's not the best for their learning right so it's like you have to make a decision like is this gonna be online or is this gonna be in person and then if it's in person you know do what you have to to make um, to obviously meet with the safety and guidelines and everything but I just realized that like if it's half and half people are going to tend towards, people are always gonna have, um, going, going to tend towards the least effort. So if I don't have to come to class and I can just like, if I feel like I could just watch a video, another lecture on YouTube or like two times speeds it, like people, like I'm surprised people two times speeds because I'm like, I don't even know what they're saying is if they're going that fast. But 
people are going to tend that way just because it's an option, right? So um, whatever the consensus is about what is the best way for that class to be taught should just be one decision. It's like it's going to be online, it's going to be in person, and that's really about it. But recording lectures help. Definitely record the lectures because it will help people whenever you know they get lost and they can always go back. Yeah, I would say that. And then my perspective on it is bringing back to UCF. Like, I never had to go through COVID, but I did have the classes where, like Armel was saying, like, you had the choice to go in person or online. Um, like, you really need to talk, like, you really need to show the student what's the value of me being in person, right? Because, like, for me, with the lecture of, like, 300 people, 500 students or whatever, with a super unengaged professor, I was like, I'd rather just watch, I was the person that watched it on two times speed. So I watched it on two times speed because in my head, I was like, okay, I can watch five classes at two times speed. I save myself five hours a week. I can use that time as well as because I can watch it on my own time to go out and intern and beef up my resume rather being, than being stuck in class. So unless, again, I know a lot of students don't necessarily think in that perspective, but unless you can find a way to justify the student that they're gonna, like their time com coming to class, trying to find parking on campus um, is better than just chilling at the Starbucks lounge with their friends and just drinking Starbucks. It's gonna be really hard to get them to go to class if they do have that option online. Um, so whatever that key point is, really dive into that. Does that answer your question? Awesome. Well, this was awesome. Some great questions from everyone. Um, if we'll, me and Armel will probably be here for a little bit, so if any of you have questions, feel free to come up and ask, and we'll do our best to answer. Thank you again. Thank you so much.